What would we do without winter? She is our worship team. She has our babies that we dedicate. The woman is a full-time saint. <laughs> As you know, Monday is a holiday. Tomorrow's a holiday. So all of our worship people, our artsy, craftsy people, feel like they have to take the weekend off. So they're all over the place. They're in Ohio. They're in Florida. They're everywhere. But anyway, they're not here. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 2. Hannah, the mother of Samuel, the Lord has opened her womb. She conceives and she has a son. Her reproach of being Barren has been removed by God. It was a plight upon her by God, but God also removed her, uh, her reproach. And Hannah, she's overwhelmed by God's goodness to her. Have you ever been there? Just been overwhelmed by God's goodness to you? Hannah's entire attitude changed. Her countenance went from sad to good, from despair to joyfulness, when she simply was told by Eli the priest that her prayer had been heard by God. That's great faith. God has heard you, Hannah. And she goes away glad. She stops weeping. She eats. And... Uh, Hannah and Elkanah returned home, and she immediately became pregnant. Now, I understand how babies are made, or I think I do. And, but we hear God declare, I formed you in your mother's womb. God says that. Life does not come about apart from the hand of God. Therefore, I think abortion becomes the most grievous sin against God. But abortion, like all sin, is forgivable. And you can never talk about abortion in our society today without explaining that it can be forgiven by God. So, the guilt of abortion doesn't have the sting, the paralysis of a woman, and it can be of a man. Seek God's forgiveness and enjoy the times of refreshing that repentance brings. Hannah will give her son back to God as a sacrifice of worship. Once Samuel is weaned, he will become a servant at the tabernacle where Eli is priest. Now, a child would be weaned at a much later date in those days than they are today. Samuel might have been around five or six, maybe even seven years old before she takes, Hannah takes him back to serve Eli the priest. <clears throat> 
But time has passed, and Samuel is left there at the tabernacle, and Elkanah and Hannah, they bring great sacrifice to the tabernacle. They bring three bulls, that's quite a few bulls, an ephah, a flower, and a skin of wine. And Hannah, she's faithful to leave her firstborn son there at Shiloh. This had to be a heartbreaking experience for Hannah. But she also has the great joy of sacrificing her most treasured thing in life back to the Lord. Samuel will serve Eli and his sons, and her joy is a bitter, sweet joy. But Hannah demonstrates her love of God in her sacrifice. And we read also in 2 Samuel 24 where David, wanting to sacrifice to God, buys the threshing floor of Aruna because he says, I won't sacrifice anything to the Lord that costs me nothing. Two things about Offerings and sacrifice. First, any offering or second sacrifice should always be done voluntarily, given with compassion, given cheerfully. And for our offering to be a sacrifice, it's got to have some value in your own eyes. It has to have value in the giver's eyes. Otherwise, it's simply an offering. Remember the widow who gave two mites in the temple at Jerusalem and Jesus noticed her? She gave out of her very life's substance. She gave all she had. But it didn't go unnoticed by Jesus, did it? Jesus noticed it. And Hannah, the most precious thing she has in life, the thing she prayed for, the thing that brought her great sorrow, but then it turned to joy when Samuel was born, she's given it back to the Lord. And this touches the heart of God. And he will bless Hannah with five more children, three sons and two daughters. But Hannah, she makes the pages of Scripture with her sacrificial offering of Samuel, her son. So let's read Hannah's song and her prayer unto God after she's gave Samson back to the Lord. And that's in 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 11. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from my mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. 
The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumble are girded with string. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to be hungry. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills, and he makes alive. He brings down to the grave, and he brings up. The Lord makes the poor, and he makes the rich. He brings low, and he lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and makes them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to the king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli, the priest. This prayer of Hannah was written expressing God's great mercy and it's kind of a praise to the answer of her petition of the Lord. She wanted a son. She prayed for a son. And Hannah has had several years to gather her thoughts and prayer from the years of sorrow that she had for the years that she now has weaned Samuel and as she nursed this child, her heart just flows out with thanksgiving. Hannah has said several years to enjoy her baby, Samuel. And she's had the same amount of time to reflect on God's goodness to her. And this beautiful song, this beautiful prayer comes forth from Hannah. Now, Mary the mother of Jesus, she is familiar with Hannah's prayer because Mary was familiar with the scriptures. And the similarities in Mary's song and her prayer with Hannah's prayer, they're striking. In Mary's song of praise, she leans heavily upon Hannah's prayer. Mary was a devout young Jewish woman and she was keenly aware of Hannah's song. So let's read Mary's prayer. That's in Luke 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their heart. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. <clears throat> we have here two godly women whose hearts are grateful and thankful unto their God. Sometimes I think we need to pause and write down our own thoughts, prayers, answers to prayer. What I'm saying is we need to journal. Now, I don't journal, but I think it's a good idea. <laughs> journal your thoughts. I challenge people to write down your prayer requests, slip them in your Bible, and then check them off as God answers your request. Because if you write them down, you get to see God as he answers your prayer. It's good for us to remember God's faithfulness to us in his provision. Hannah writes down kind words, exalting words about her God. Thoughtful words of encouragement that Mary will read and apply to her own life. Mary and Hannah both proclaim the greatness of God and his faithfulness to them. And we, the entire Christian world, benefit by reading Hannah's prayer and Mary's song, which are similar. We get blessed by these two women that were devoted to their Lord. But back to our story of Elkanah and his family. Hannah leaves Samuel there with Eli the priest. And here's the catch. Eli is corrupt along with his corrupt sons. Hannah leaves her son in a bad atmosphere or environment, I should say. So let's read 1 Samuel 2, verse 12 through 17. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust in into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought out. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. When people would come to offer their sacrifice, this is how the priests would get their meat. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give me meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer to him, No, but you must give it now. And if not, we will take it by force. Therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men abhorred the offerings to the Lord. The people are despising bringing offerings to God because of the behavior of the priest. Any Christian church has a responsibility 
to be good stewards of the offerings that that church receives. That's a requirement. Here, we don't try to bring attention to your giving of offering and sacrifice. Giving is to be a personal type of worship, where we give a portion back to God in a cheerful, private manner. Now, studies have been made, and these studies reveal that if you pass an offering plate, you collect more funds. However, here at Calvary, we cannot be about how much you give. Thus, we have two offering boxes in the back by the exit doors. And you give as you please in the privacy of your own heart. And you give cheerfully, hopefully. The priests in our passage have developed a sinful method of taking the meat that was offered to God. They're taking the meat before you can burn the fat as a sweet aroma sacrifice to God. Before this sweet aroma of cooking meat could fill the tabernacle. Spring is approaching. We're having warm days. Barbecue grills will be coming out. They're going to be on the patio soon. And they're coming out of storage. And we will all smell the sweet aroma of roasting beef. And that sweet grilling smell is simply fat being burned off of the meat. But Eli and his sons, they're taking their portion of meat in such a way that the offering to God by the people causes the people to hate their offering to God. And there's not much more you could do to offend God than that. Remember when Jesus cleansed the temple of the money changers and the merchandisers? Jesus said, you have made my father's house into a den of thieves. These words cause us to be careful how we receive tithes and offerings. Your giving is an act of worship. Never let it be anything else. And we are to receive them as an act of worship from you. Moving along. Verse 18 through 21. But Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that she has given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah, so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, this child Samuel grew before the Lord. Samuel is growing up in the service of the Lord. But don't lose this. He's serving corrupt priests. 
Samuel's environment, it is corrupt. And that brings light to the fact that our environment does not necessarily mold our character. It's not how you were raised. It's what you become in and of yourself by the help of God. Samuel, he's only a child, but he's not deaf to the complaints of the people who come to worship at the tabernacle and they're being mistreated. God, in his mercy and grace, prevails through this sinful environment, and he even blesses Hannah for her giving a Samuel to God's service. She has three more sons and two daughters. But let's look briefly into the behavior of Eli and his corrupt sons. And that's in verse 22 through 25. Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who assemble at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress or purposely sin. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, the sons did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Is that harsh or is that harsh? Eli is now an old man. And he hears all the evil that his sons do at the entrance to the tabernacle, the place of worship. How they purposely sin against the Lord. And he says to him, who can intercede for you, sons, when you purposely sin? And this is a rhetorical question. Basically saying, no one can intercede for you, my sons. And don't miss this, because the Lord desired to kill Eli's sons. That's one of the very rare times where God is no longer willing to, by his spirit, work with a man. But God desires to kill them. He wants to kill these corrupt priests. This reveals to all who read this passage the severity. It's an awesome bad thing when you call someone to transgress in sin. When you're the instigator of someone else's sin, you've got God's attention. Eli, the old priest, He's trying to warn his sons, and they are also priests, though. You, my sons, are making the people who come to worship, you're making them transgress, purposely sin. This sin in this setting has caused God to desire to kill Eli's sons. Hophni, 
and Phineas. That's the sons. And they have sinned and they've transgressed and they're causing others to sin and transgress. And now God is out to kill them. One of the few other people that go through this kind of um, hatred of God towards man is Pharaoh. Remember Pharaoh? God set Pharaoh's heart against him, the living God, that he might destroy Pharaoh. And here we see these evil priests. And God is desiring to kill them. And by the way, God will kill them. Now, I grew up in a church where we heard things like, God said, my spirit will not always dwell with men. <laughs> and I believe the leadership of that denomination was trying to scare the hell out of us. Literally. <laughs> they were trying to bring God down upon us where we would have a fear of sinning. Now, there's a healthy fear of sinning, but uh, you can't stir that up within somebody else's heart. Eli has allowed his sons to go unchecked in their sin. They're priests. Eli's a priest. And Hophni and Phinehas are so debased, so bent on sinning, so corrupt, they are committing fornication in the entrance of the tabernacle. That's, that's getting pretty bad. But Eli, he's been reluctant to correct his sons. Eli is negligent in setting a standard of righteousness there at the tabernacle. And his, the behavior of his sons is condemning. Verse 23 I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. This is Eli talking to his sons. My sons, you cause the Lord's people to transgress. A sin so flagrant that God will now kill Eli's sons. So here's the question. How does that apply to us? How does that affect us? When we see friends, perhaps our own children, sinning, and if they're causing others to sin, what is our reaction? We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. We are to warn people that we see sinning. If you know a person that's living in sin, God calls you to warn them. You're to declare God's word to them. But Pastor Don, people will think I'm a goody two-shoes. So be it. Live with that. It's okay. <laughs> it's not the worst thing you can be accused of. 
God will come against Eli's sons. For us, we're to be resolved. We're to make it a way of life to stand for righteousness. We can at least tell people who insist on their sinful behavior that the wages of sin is death. You owe it to them to tell them that. Now, not everybody's going to hear you. I can tell you that up front. A sinner usually does not want to hear that he's sinning. But perhaps one or two will hear you and turn and repent. For today is the day of salvation. And we doesn't know, we don't know how that's going to fall upon the hearts that we talk to. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, to change our path, to change our direction. And we cannot be silent in the face of sinful behavior. Don't do it. It's better to offend than to be silent. And we live in a world where sin is glorified. We live in a world where uh, fornication and adultery is called an affair. Think of that. Where uh, you sleep with someone. You don't commit adultery. You just sleep with someone. The hardest thing, I think, to do as a Christian is to be firm, but to be gentle. When you, when you confront someone, when you have to tell a child no for a certain behavior, be firm, but be gentle. And that's, that's one of the hardest lessons I think it is for us to learn. If there's anything in your life that you would like to pray about, uh, we'll have people in the prayer room back here that would be happy to pray with you. But if you'll stand, we'll close in prayer. Father God, you have not called us to be the most loved person in the neighborhood. You've called us to stand for righteousness. You've called us to be separated unto you, Lord. That doesn't mean we have to be purposely offensive, but we can have moral integrity, Lord. Help us to pick and choose where we stand firm on your word. Help us to be light in a dark place. Help us to cause people to thirst after you by us being salty, Lord. And let us declare your goodness. And let us tell people how you're willing to forgive and change your lives and turn them around. Help us to be light, Lord. You called us to be light. Help us to be light by your spirit. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.